Hiya. Hello. Hello. So, uh, Sunday, 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 or whenever you're listening to this, it's when we're recording it. Does it matter to you guys, like when you're listening to another podcast and they say they record it at a certain time, does that even matter to you? I don't really think about it unless they mention it, so. It's a, it's a holiday. Yeah. Same, yeah. yeah. So forget I, I said it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm assuming, oh, it's today. It's the same day. <laughs> oh, man. I don't know about you guys. Does it feel like the summer is actually at its end? Summer is over. Is it technically yeah. over? No. It's not technically over. Is it, it like, like September it or something they call it? What do they call it? I think it's, it's like, like the, when the middle it? of September. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's getting hot as balls here, though. It's like we did. We had a mild uh, summer. I know everywhere else it's been horrible. But on the west side, we don't. It wasn't so bad, and we're like, oh, we're those, you know, privileged assholes. And then uh, the summer has come to greet us, and it's now currently kicking our bonds. September twenty third. Is that it? That's the the end. That's the beginning of what the fall the solstice. Fall, yeah. Is so, but everyone else is in school mode already. So it's yeah, like it's already I think that's over. what it is. Yeah. Is around me, it feels like everybody's moved on. Everybody's back from vacation. Yep. The kids are in school, which is weird because when we were in, in school, we didn't go back till after Labor Day. Uh, same right? thing. Same thing. I'm like, what do these these kids have homework that chokes a horse? Yeah, they're in school all the time. It's like, where's your childhood, yo? That's what it. That's that's what my schools back home still do. Like my brother isn't my little brother. He's uh, eleven. He's still not back at school yet. He doesn't go back until after Labor Day. As he should. See, that's normal. Yeah. He should have a proper summer. What y'all in a hurry for? Do you know what I'm saying? If we're trying to you know, like get your extra education on, I think there's a there, haven't we taught adults that work smarter, not harder? No, the institution is still alive. They they need to do something. Babysit kids. They, they're trying to get well. Maybe this is regional too. Maybe you know. But out here, I feel like they go back like so early, and I'm like, I mean, it's great, but I just think about the poor kids. Yeah, but they get out earlier. They do get out earlier. So we're starting to see them like you know, do some shit. But like, our kids like here, they're it's just I talked to my neighbor. They have all have uh, kids who are like middle school these days, and they're like. They're already prepping. They're already thinking about college and middle school. And I'm oh, like, yeah. what? Why? Yeah. Why? Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's what you got to do. I mean, you got to start. I don't think you do, though. Well, I don't think that everybody should go to college. In fact, I think the majority of the people in this country don't need to go to college. They should just go do whatever the hell they want to. Yeah. Look around you. But, you know. Yeah, I started career prepping in eighth grade. They made us, like, start, like, not exactly looking for colleges, but, like, trying to, like, steer us into a certain direction of what we want to do with our lives. And we were, like... We're twelve. <laughs> like right? it's like yeah, but unless Are you, you have kidding me? That's un- crazy. Unless you have some sort of family money, you really need to start at that young age because the competition is just incredible. See, I feel like all these things are made up. And by no, the way, they definitely are made up. I never up. even turned in that homework. I'm fifty five. I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up. I just I yeah. didn't grow up seventeen. I just again I feel like these things are scams. Yeah. I I agree. I feel like you should be able to have a childhood and relax. Be who you are. I did not mean to go down this road, but now that we're here, children. We only do it once a year. Let your children have a childhood, dude. Anyway. Mindhunter, season two. Season two. What y'all think? Overall, good, bad, ugly? I loved it. I thought it was great. Did you? I I think so, yeah. It's hard. Season twos have a hard time. I know that they're like they're like you know like where where to go after this, but I think I think they lived up to it. I don't know. I think for me, I think the first season is like so iconic. Yeah, I don't think it necessarily rose to the same level. It, def- it definitely went in different directions, but overall, I really enjoyed it. I was engaged the whole time, so I didn't hate it. But I I mean again, I'm not one of these people who's like, oh my god, second season. Eh. I just don't. I'm not one of those people, and I don't like people who are those people because, you know, give a bitch a minute to develop story. However, it's Fincher, this group, they did create lightning in a bottle. It was magic, Mm -hmm. iconic, all the things. The only thing I have a problem with in season two, and there's so much brilliance I'm going to get to, but I'm going to start on the negative and then get to the positive, is I just did not really feel like we needed 
Bill Bill's son to be, you know, Manson 2.0. I feel like what, that's what the story was trying to say, is that the little boy is some sort of, like, autistic Damien who has the powers of persuasion. like, Or maybe he's not even autistic at all. He just has the powers of persuasion and he got these older kids to murder a toddler. I feel like that's what the show's doing. Maybe that's not what they're doing at all. But I feel like, okay, that would be a cool... Well, you know what I mean when I say cool. Not awesome, but that would be an, a way to go with another yeah. character. Like when Holden mm-hmm. got involved with the principal in season one... Because now he's yeah. seeing a boogeyman in every corner, and we were left with, was it real, was it what? I thought that was brilliant. Season two, I felt it was OTN, a little on the nose, to have Bill's son be in this predicament. It just didn't feel... It fe- I didn't hate it. I was yeah. just like, it was distracting. It was forced? So, like, but what, what about it for you was, was too on the nose? Was it the fact that... It wasn't like a simple like, oh, he skinned a cat. Like, no, he he persuaded people to kill a toddler. Now, the choice at all to have this particular character have a son have this issue, it just feels very convenient. Because is the show trying to say, and again, season twos are always like their roadways to the next season. Are they trying to say that there are troubled people everywhere? Of course. But it just felt very weird yeah, I mean they're they're definitely that it happened to be Bill's yeah. son. They're definitely killing a lot of birds with the same stone because we have to see his whole family erode. They already have established this in season one about the child. So yeah. I thought it was it was. It would have been I, fine. It, it didn't bug me that much. You could still do that same storyline with her being gone at the end of it. Just get with there the son a because way. he's never home and she's just trying yeah. to parent by herself and she doesn't her kids autistic. When the murder happened, I was just like, "What?" Yeah, you don't need that. But he didn't. I mean, but then, but then, as maybe they st- I'm the only one who sees it that well, way. Well, but then, I mean, I, that's what I initially thought at first until they told us, you know, that he just he thought he was helping the child. So he wasn't. I don't think he was a part of the murder. I think he was just there. See, all these details are not what I'm talking about. I think I think the the story itself, if you had given it to anybody else in the like another coworker in the bureau, yeah, somebody else. But the the two main characters to have this specific problem is what I'm talking about. I can see that. I mean, like, I didn't I didn't notice that it was too on the nose until you said something because I thought I was like. M- more focusing on like how this how this whole thing with his son affected yes. not only not only his relationship with Holden and his job but how he perceives his job and of the course. people he talks to and how that influences how he does these interviews. Yes. Um That's what I'm saying. I I, I always I had this juicy end results from it. Wow. He reacts to Manson. He's not impressed with Manson A. He's annoyed going in there because Holden's fanboying over Manson by the by the brilliant yeah. Damon Harriman, by the way, we'll get to him Manson in a minute. But I, all of that, I love that. I love what it did to Bill. I mean, you know, when, you know what I mean when I say love. I like how it, yeah, made Bill react. But you didn't like how we got there. I didn't like that it was his son. Yeah. Okay. And we had I get that. we had Bill reacting to all kinds of shit in season one without it just being him personal. And the only th- and it would have been great twist for Bill to come home thinking he had all the answers, looking at Holden, confronting Manson. Maybe a coworker has the story. Maybe somebody he knows has the story, and it gets under his skin because he's thinking about his own kid, and it reminds him of his own kid. Something about his kid's not right, but this other kid did something that reminds him of his child, and then Manson confronts him. You can have all of the same sauce yeah. without this very weird coinkadink. Yeah. Mm. For for a show that it's supposed to be, you know, um, we're supposed to f- delve into the the intricacies and subtleties of a mind. It is. I d- I do see what you're saying there. That it it's is like Mindhunter. Con- very They're convenient. searching for the the killer. Oh, it's in your own house. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then Anna Torv's character, Car, is like the whole thing is I'm gay. What a very uninteresting use of Car. I just thought it was just like completely yeah. just basic bitch. Those are my two big problems with season two. I'll shut up now. You guys were making points. <laughs> what about what about Wendy's arc did you not like? I just, I, you know, it's awesome that she's queer. It's awesome that she has a girlfriend. But I just, it took 
we had an opportunity to get to know Car and spend some time with her. And I know that she's struggling with her closet, but she was completely out. And then all of a sudden, she's repressed and in. Is because why? Because what are reasons? And then she was also kind of douchey to her girlfriend about code switching. Car is way too intelligent not to get what you code switch when you're talking to your ex and protecting your kid. I felt like they took a weird turn with Car that made literally no sense. Well, with see, her I think I think the turn that 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 she exhibited, I think it all stemmed from the fact that they had the new director and how he was making subtle hints like oh maybe you should just stay here while we go out and do the interviewing sure. like and she, she knows that she's already got a couple of notches down the ladder and i agree that that from her going from being out and turning down a job that she doesn't have to repress in the first season to being now i can see why that can feel convoluted i think the only thing about it for me was like it was the contrast between or the comparison between the arc that the story gave Bill and the arc that story that the story gave Wendy, because with Bill, it was the arc that directly affected the main concept of the story, which is how does a serial killer work? And then with Wendy, while it still does affect her job, it, it affects it in different ways than Bill. So I don't know if they were trying to make sure that if we're going to refocus on these characters instead of Holden, if we put Holden in the back room for this season, then we have a lot of focus on these two characters and we can't make their story too similar. I don't know what was the catalyst behind it. Needless to say, I was kind of like that whole conversation with like, you know, like, Oh, you can have my spare room. And she's like, is that all I am to you a spare room? I'm like, okay, this is just like a, a, a misunderstanding that can easily be fixed. But the story sort of took it even farther and used it as a way to divide the characters. That was the only thing I was just like, really? Like, you know? Like, we're, like just ha we're having conversations about being gay in closets and rooms. And I'm like, what straight white men wrote this storyline? Because can we not, if we're going to be b big and bold, let's just move beyond that. People are people. People are having relationships, you know? Being out in the bureau, fine, whatever. But I feel like Carr would not be defeated by this box. This is not a locked room for her. This is nothing like this. I don't mind her being vulnerable. I don't mind her, like, having a new relationship. But I just felt like it was a very uninteresting dead end to take such an amazing, such a... a, a great solid character from season one car could have gone so many places putting her out on the road having her sit in the room with the other guy I thought oh here we go this is going to be cool yeah i thought when they were, we're gonna have more yeah. of this yeah because there she's proving she's the proving ground of that and yeah. she has that one moment with a guy where she talks about her partner and i wouldn't have mind if that mirrored holden from season one which that would have been the complaint but again you're seeing a, a woman be just as efficient in this situation or getting different results getting worthy results in a different what you know what i'm saying like that's yeah. where i would have taken that character rather than oh my god i'm just a girl i'm uh, yeah i doesn't want me to look at that yeah sort of using that same trope of you know the the time period it, it, i, I see mean they, we get it but here's yeah, the thing they could have been I'm, a little bit more creative with I'm, that. I'm an old ass person and i can tell you that we had sexism at, all the time last week but back in the day like People strong like Carr, you didn't give a shit. You yeah. just, you, I was queer in the South. Like, we're queer in the South. You just, you had old white men telling you, oh, oh my gosh, what do you girls get up to? And all you would do is just be like, I'm the best at what I do. I'm rubbing your face in it, whatever. <laughs> do you know what I mean? So it's not yeah. even believable within its time. It's like we all shrank in the corner and was like, oh my God, he's not going to advance me. You know how many doors I slammed? And talk to bosses in the month. Listen, bitch. I did with three bosses. And I got a raise. Because they were terrified. <laughs> anyway. So that was my problem with that. I mean, I know I love the uh, I love how Tench goes at Manson when Manson's like, the kids, man, the kids and all this stuff. Your children. Yeah. And that's di a direct button to him. That would have felt so much more even powerful than it already was. And believe me, it was powerful if it wasn't Bill Tench's kid doing this. Exactly. Same storyline, different people, bigger impact. Just my input. I know. I'll see myself out. 
my my only other issue with the season was I felt like I feel like because Holden was put in the back room as it were for this season. Yes. I f- I found a lot of the stuff that was going on with him very I guess slightly inconsistent because I thought in the first episode when we were setting up the whole panic attack thing and the anxiety thing like we've kind of seen this movie before and I was like but it's Mindhunter they're gonna do it in an interesting way but then it's kind of like this huge thing him meeting Kemper on his own and like like him hugging him and like sending him into a panic attack that's a big thing for the character who is so, so you know rigid and sophisticated to be shaken out of your shell like that for that character should have some pretty lasting implications but this the show by the third episode he was kind of just like over it yeah and like yeah. they were fine was i'm like Groff wait busy? so like what was the point i mean i was like it was it was groff prepping something else did they want to give these other two shine See, and again, I don't, it sounds like I hated it. I did not hate it. I am no. so glad that Mind Hunter exists at all. And there were so many, like I said, brilliant things we're getting to about Mind Hunter. But this, again, exactly that. Why are we putting I was this just, dude in the I, back seat? Why are we doing this in this season? You know? I don't, I was waiting, like literally the rest of the show, I was waiting for that to come back and pay off. But it was kind of like, Sometimes he would be a little panicked. Like, what? Like, where were we going with that? It felt like they sort of dropped that idea by the fourth episode, and they were like, okay, um, huh, I don't know. We'll just make him desperate to figure out this killer for the last four episodes. I was just kind of like, I was waiting for that to sort of pay off, because we, we spent... There were discussions between characters about his instability. Yes. And by the time he got to his second or third interview, he was fine and he was holding again. So I was just kind of like, I don't know. Yeah, I felt like sp- I was missing it. They spent more time on the the, the babysitting of Holden. He, are you sure that he's going to be okay? The, the babysitting of him than actually And there was nothing having, to babysit. Yeah. He was docile. Yeah, he was like, I'm fine. He's having half those, panic attacks. Those sort of yeah, those sort those sort of conversations when you, when you know uh, what's happened with the character is the show in front of you pulling a string and it's not going to tell you when it's going to snap. Right. I thought that Holden was literally just going to snap yeah. by the last episode. I thought that's what we were leading up to. There was a missed opportunity it, with this too because when we go back to see Camper and again, it was just so wonderful to see Cameron Britton standing there going, "Oh my God, there's Cameron. I love him as Camper." He nailed yes. it. I mean, this is the one thing we loved about season one was. Kemper, and he's there, and he looks like he's recording like his memoirs, um, you know. So then I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And then you know he's jealous because you know his FBI boyfriend's coming to like see another boy. So, <laughs> yep. but then he gives him advice. It would have been a great opportunity for Holden to come in and have a moment with Kemper where he felt completely at ease all of a sudden, and you're like, that's weird. And then later on, he to someone somehow confesses that he was comfortable in Kemper's presence with Bill going, about to put a cigarette in his mouth for the 15th time and then the scene going, Jesus. do what now? <laughs> you know, yeah. like, the, like the panic attacks go away and somehow the new thing that we don't even really have to explore, he's comfortable in the presence of Kemper yeah. and super comfortable in the presence of Manson. And and then you have Bill looking at him, again, to further what you set up in season in one. season one, exactly. And going, I'm really worried yeah. about this guy. And then going to Carr and saying, this is not a babysitting job anymore. This is a rescue. Yeah. Maybe we're going there in season three, but I feel like there was a lot of treading water in season two for, like, no reason. Yeah. Well, they're also, they're just, it's, it was a problem that for, I think could have easily been fixable. Like when they're trying to come up with ways to catch this killer in the last four or five episodes, there, there, there could have been efforts made to show that Holden was, it was shown that he was desperate, but I think they could have taken another step further. Like I need to solve this or I'm going to lose it again. Right. I like to me that felt like the logical step after you set up this whole anxiety thing. And then again, it kind of took a nosedive. Maybe they are setting up something for season three, but if they were, I felt like that theme should have been more present in the later episodes to have it in our mind because by the time we get to season three, we're not going to remember that he had panic attacks in the first two or three episodes of season two. Yeah. So I don't know. I hate to keep harping off on about this, but that was literally, 
And I think it's because the literal theme of this show is what happens when you study these minds and how it affects you. Right. That is the literal theme of the show. And when that's not doing anything for Holden, you notice it. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because we were worried about him. He's gone off the deep end. He gets really close. Kemper says this, this that crazy thing in the script about you'll be my you'll be in spirit with me forever or whatever he says when he hugs him. Like, so yeah. so 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 powerful. And then it's like, oh, I'm having panic attacks now, and I'm going to stand over here and watch it happen. I'm like, what what's going on? <laughs> what's happening? It's just also a waste of Jonathan Groff. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I love that they gave Holt and Anna a lot of, of territory, but they don't necessarily need all that real estate to be brilliant. We didn't forget them in season one. No. They were very present as a trio in season one. Yes. Yeah. So I don't know. I didn't hate it. I know it sounds like I hated it. I actually loved the tone. I mean, BTK didn't change. No, none of, none of the... Damon the, Harriman yeah. as, as Manson was... That was him. It's like we talk about Rami Malek... Yeah doesn't look like Freddy, doesn't move like all the stuff, and then he just sort of studied the man and slipped into his skin, and then you forget that you're watching an actor. That's how yeah. I felt about Manson with Damon Harriman. I was like, watching this guy, I'm like, this is spooky as hell. They have resurrected this man from the dead. Yeah. And then I hear that he's also the same actor plays Manson at a different time period and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and I'm like, holy shit monkeys. Like, this, this guy's amazing. You know, yeah. it wasn't enough Kemper for me. I'm a Kemper person, yeah. not not the actual serial killer in real life. I'm a Cameron Britton playing um, Kemper person, so I wanted to see more of that. And then I and it would have been here's the thing. I wanted to see what was going to happen with that little mousy dude in the bureau. The um, they're, they're, what they're, do you call that when you hire somebody that nepotism hire? Yeah, the fourth guy in there. Yeah. Yeah. Like what? Oh, yeah. The guy that leaked the tapes? Yeah. yeah. Give him yeah. the panic attacks, okay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Give that dude the panic attacks and have Holden like be fine with it, and I think we all would have been like, cool. I found myself continually like forgetting who he was. Oh, my God. I can't even think of his Le- name. It's, Do you know uh, what I mean? It's, Joe, it's Tuttle. Joe Tuttle. Joe Tuttle. Greg Smith. They even gave him like... Um, but like when they when they started that I mean, when name. when he went out on the road with Dr. Carr, like you said, I thought they were gonna do something with that. And it just gets squashed by the the director. Apologies to anyone named Tuttle. I didn't mean that your name sounded up. I'm just saying it's a noise, it sounds like <laughs> oh, shit. Mailbag. Uh so yeah, I mean, but I loved again, you can't the one thing that was most interesting, there's so much that happened in season two was the Atlanta child murders. I I grew up uh, I was a kid when these kids were going missing, and my cousins lived in Atlanta, and we weren't allowed to go there um, at, at around this time. Like, you were just forbidden to go. And, in fact, like the year after that, I think it kind of killed our visits to Atlanta. Uh, but we yeah. were also, for the first time in my kind of idyllic Huckleberry Tom, Huckleberry, uh, Huckleberry Tom, Huckleberry Finn uh, childhood, we were told to come in before dark, which was so unusual to hear from an adult. And then we had the, do you know where your children are at the end of Uh our newscast? So just, we were like, what is going on? And the milk cartons and all that kind of stuff. So to see how they treated this was super interesting because you're, that's your childhood. And then what I also appreciated about it is they nailed Wayne Williams, the actor who played uh, Wayne Williams that oh, yeah. was the guy. That was Wayne. And then the fact that the show comes to the same conclusion that a lot of experts has is that probably the killers of the Atlanta children were three factors. Probably Wayne killing the adults that he was having run-ins with because he is a sociopath in the highest order. And then you had like a probably a sex ring. I know it sounds far-fetched, but not really. A lot of these kids were just living on the fringes. They didn't... They weren't helicopter parented and they were out mm-hmm. there hustling and making a buck or just innocent kids. All of them were innocent, whether they were hustling for a buck or not. Yeah. yeah. Just, so you got to get your Skrilla if you're a poor child. You got to get your money, do your Five thing. $5 for a, a Polaroid. Yeah. $5 for a Polaroid yeah. of whatever you know they want. Of. Like These kids know how to like hustle and now they become victims. And then your third factor is your, your obvious choice is the clan. So 
I wanted them to spend more time on the fact that Holden got this wrong. And have that, if you're going to do anything with Holden in season two, this is where I was like, come on now. It said as an aside almost. Yeah. That he goes, maybe it isn't the same person. Because we know retroactively that there's no way that Wayne Williams could have killed 39, 40. It was probably more than that, by the way, guys. It's probably a couple hundred people. If you look at the time period of about two and a half years, people were on a spree. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Different factions and groups were like, and they and they had it right. They played the police like a fiddle because the cops did not give a shit about black people, black children, right? So I'm thinking, this is a huge time in history, and it was really weird and tone deaf for the show to have its main character going, I think it's one guy, and then get that wrong in such a, it just, it got buried for me. That should, if you're going to put the, the Atlanta child murders in season two, let's get to the crux of that. You can have car hot on the heels or something. You would have all hands on deck yeah. focusing on this yeah. to the degree that yeah. one Bill goes home, his wife has moved and taken the kid elsewhere. Yeah, that could have been the... Sur- the, the and I don't think I would have minded yeah. the son being involved in some kind of thing. But then we just went, and then do we need Manson in season two? As brilliant as he was, you know, yeah, it felt like we tried to shove a bunch of stuff in season two, and I'm like, you didn't have to overstuff it like that. Or like I a think, bunch of the I wrong think, stuff. I think the reason it felt overstuffed is in season one, every interview that we saw somehow gave not only the characters, but us the knowledge to apply to the crimes that the show was exploring. I think the fact that the reason that in season two, we didn't feel like that is because I think there was sort of hitting the greatest hits being Charles Manson. While that was a standout scene in the season, it didn't give us necessarily any knowledge that we can apply to the child Atlanta child murders. It didn't. So I think that's my why maybe it fell out of step. I think going into season three, I want the trio to reunite. Yes. Yeah. And I want them to focus more on interviewing. It doesn't. And it doesn't even have to be, um, like famous serial killers. Like as long as the interviews that they are conducting give them some sort of knowledge to apply, then it then we feel some sort of payoff, some satisfaction, some satisfaction that we paid attention and now we figured this out. I yeah. think also yeah. maybe because we don't to this day have a solid uh solid culprit for the Atlanta child murders that we also felt a little sort of like the the downtrodden by the time we get to the end of the season. Right. Um but I think if they if they hone in a little bit more on not only the trio's dynamic but who they're interviewing, I think it could really pay off in a big way. There were just brilliant moments, but let's just talk about the fact that Kemper is so intuitive He's got all this time in his hands, and he's a psychopath. He leans into Holden and is like, have you got someone you can't catch, Holden? Yeah, he knew. He already knew. That's yeah. the most brilliant conversation yeah. in the, the season two. It's like he knows, oh, you got somebody you can't catch. There's some, that BTK guy is out there. Other brilliant moments, the woman who played the lead mother character in Atlanta was just yeah. absolutely brilliant. Yes. Um, because she represents, obviously, she's our mother who represents all of the mothers who lost their children and never got answers. And that's why that ans- that ending is so poignant. And then one of the things the show got right, they literally closed the book on this. And all the people who were murdering goes, well, we'll just keep it on the low or we'll go somewhere else. Or they got Wayne, so now we can we can all get away from this scot-free. Yeah. You know, but then again, if you know in history, a few more thing, a few more murders continued on after that. So that didn't really stop anything. But just there were just brilliant moments outside of Manson. Um but that that moment with Kemper haunts me. Just the way they've now connected. They have this symbiosis that's disturbing. So yeah. I'm like I didn't hate it. I know it sounds like I hated it. It's like I, when I love something so much, and I do love Mindhunter, and I love Fincher, and, and everything that this show's uh, trying to do. And again, I'm not 
ever glorifying serial murder or rape or molestation or assault. I'm just saying um, the show does something that a, a lot of it's it's one of its one of a kind is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, so I don't really mind is. it. I don't. I didn't mind season two as much, but there was times like as I stepped away from it, I was like, oh, dang it. I I expected more. You know, maybe if they would have given me like three more episodes. Yeah. You know, because I I do feel like there was a lot left un unanswered. Yeah. Um, I think to to also add on to that, I think it didn't really help that we weren't focusing on the Atlanta murders till the last four or five episodes. I agree. I think if they if they had that as sort of a background line that at the beginning the characters are aware of, but they're not like really called into, and it becomes too much to ignore and then they find themselves into it because like it literally by the by the back half of season two you're kind of just like okay like we're still doing this like it felt like all of the time was dedicated to that chunk of episode to that specific crime so i think if they maybe spread it out a little bit i think it could have worked a little better but you know number three is a magic number for television season threes are notoriously great so i can't wait to see how that applies to Mindhunter. And then I will be forgiven when we see We Lates and Road. I guess what, because of what I had read about Mindhunter, I fully expected for them to start at the very beginning of season two with Atlanta Child Murders and BTK going at the same time with the team having to split their time between the two murders. That BTK was now becoming a thing because mm-hmm. Holden was seeing the pattern. So he was off chasing BTK. He's going to Camper once again by himself now. And going, I was fine with him. Like, Bill goes, how'd it go? Did you faint this yeah. time? You shouldn't go there. Everybody's warning him. But he's fine. They actually have a warm conversation. Everybody's now really worried about Holden. And then the Carr and Tinch would team up and go and try to solve Atlanta. Um, and really try to get in there. And maybe yeah, they send Tuttle out to assist um, Holden. And Tuttle's the one who ends up, like, on the floor, crumpled, going, why aren't you freaking out? He goes, I did once. I don't do that anymore. This is literally where I thought the show was going to be written out of. And I'm not yeah. trying to be um, a Game of Thrones revisionist. I'm just <laughs> saying. And I'm done now. It was, uh, it was June Carroll who played Camille Bell. Oh. She's she, the organized. She's amazing. The, 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 um, the mothers. She was fantastic. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, the characters that they, I mean, it was really well done. Again, like you said, I think we were expecting something different. It to go at least in a different direction. But I, I also li- want to, yeah, I want to give a brief shout out to Jason Hill, the composer on this show, Ooh. because there were certain moments, the things he did with the sounds he created, yeah. I had to like, I had to like, yeah. okay, we'll pause this and we'll watch the rest of the morning. Can't do that right now. <laughs> like it's, anytime. He spooks you out. Yeah, he, does. he does. He really does. Anytime, especially when, when Bill uh, goes to the crime scene of, of the toddler and that weird, oh. I don't know, I don't even know what it is. I'm like, I have to pause this. I can't. It was like 11 o'clock at night. I was like, nope, I'll watch this in the morning. I can't do it right now. <laughs> and there's yeah. a song, uh, there's a there's a piece of music, and, and I know it's played under Tench, and I noticed in season two, but I always associated it mostly with Holden. It's this weird, I can't even describe the piece, but it's when Holden's alone in his apartment is normally when you hear it. It's almost mm-hmm. just a series of sounds. It's not really necessarily musical, but there's a particular song that I'm like, it's the Mindhunter theme. It's the music. It sets the tone. And, and Jason Hill, like, that's, that belongs to him. Like Mac Quayle belongs to Mr. Robot, even though we know he d- does all these other shows. When you hear that yeah. sound, that's the Mindhunter sound. So, yeah, yeah. I agree. Is that the, the, the back, what's playing when, like, Tench is sitting in his car in front of his house, yes. and there's just this disturbing That's it. rhythm. And that was all yes. under oh. Holden. That was under Holden yeah. all season one, so it's like now we're car- he's carrying this burden. It's that song of that thing that they're carrying. Ugh. So what else is going on? We're going to talk about a little bit of news here on the, on the back end of the podcast. Uh, D23? I don't know what these things are. Is that <laughs> Disney's con? Basically, it's a Disney convention. It's kind of like Disney's Comic Con, okay. Essentially, um, so yeah, we had a lot of we had a lot of things happen the past couple of days um, outside of D twenty three as well that we'll get to. Um, but I just want to list off some quick things that came out that were really interesting. Um, <laughs> some more than others, but uh, Kit Harrington uh, is now officially part of the MCU. 
Uh, he was cast as Dane Whitman slash Black Knight in the Eternals movie, uh, which is set to release in November 2020. And this is also great because Richard Madden is in that cast as well. So we have a little Game of Thrones reunion going on there. Rob, and cool. I know you just didn't make it. I was about to go beyond the wall. But would you like <laughs> to team up and be in the MCU? We missed oh, you seasons boy. two through eight. Two through eight, we missed you. I got my throat cut at my window. I'm out there. <laughs> then I kissed Taron Edgerton. I'm ready to go. Let's go. <laughs> I looked up, out of curiosity, I looked up what this character is supposed to be because I, I had no idea what it is. I looked up this character's abilities and I had to laugh because... I'm gonna just read these out to you. Which character is and this? And tell me. This is, this, for this is Kit. This is Kit Harrington's character that he's going to play. And tell me if <laughs> any of this sounds familiar. Okay. Okay. Black Knight, excellent swordsman, expert horseman, strong strategist and tactician, wields the sword of light. I'm just like, so there. He's we. This is our MCU Jon Snow. This is what it is. It is MCU Jon yeah. Snow. Must <laughs> wear Ikea rug in dead of summer. Well, except for the tactician. Was he a good tactician? See, Kit, here's the thing that I'm laughing about. Kit and all of the behind the scenes. And he was very young. It was one of his first real roles when he got on Game of Thrones. He spends all these years basically growing up on the show, you know, to the degree that, you know, he kind of cracks under the pressure at the end, as we heard. But now he's going to be in the MCU, yeah. which is bigger than Game of Thrones. <laughs> If that's even possible. They're neck and neck. But I would have to say MCU is bigger than Game of Thrones, right? And mm-hmm. he's going to be playing the same dude. And he's going <laughs> to be probably in all kinds of uncomfortable situations where he's cold, wet, rained on. <laughs> he's going to be in CGI too. But it's just going to be all those things he used to complain about. It's like, oh, he's there. Oh, he's in the Battle of the Bastards. Did you see me? <laughs> he looked completely miserable <laughs> on set. And it's like... Maybe he got his bre- he, maybe he had to go to rehab or get his rest because he got the role and he was like super he was like super stoked about it and then he's telling like Rose Leslie all about it by his hearth in his Hobbiton house you know because that's kind of how he looks <laughs> it. and he's like it's gonna be great she's like but aren't you gonna be like doing the same thing you were doing in Game of Thrones all these years and you're gonna be wearing tights and then he completely just gets on a plane for some strange reason flies to Los Angeles and goes into rehab just to get it out of his system. I feel bad because it's just, it's it's basically Jon Snow. Basically, watch comic yeah. book fans just come for us, you know, just like Spears, bitch. You don't even know about, and I don't. I'm just gonna uh, say we get an, you we get an rocks. email from Screen Rant being like, actually, go ahead and correct me. I don't. I didn't even know what D23 was. I don't. I don't know these things. I just. I know Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> and like how, I mean, we, how to get back to it, my house when I leave it. That's kind of it. You know, I'm not an expert <laughs> on anything. So. Uh, it could be interesting. I, I, I don't know if this character is supposed to be the, the villain of the story, but we'll see. Um, I could dig Kit Harrington as a villain. I just want to um, see him do well. I'm rooting for him. Oh, yeah, definitely rooting for yeah, him. Yeah, same. Um, next is, so we have our Loki series. Uh, it's confirmed to have six episodes. And it's going to be directed by Kate Heron, who directed Netflix's Sex Education. Oh, nice. I love her. I love that show. Yeah. Yeah. So that's yes. exciting. Yes. yes. Uh, Black Panther 2 got an official release date, May 6th, 2022, which is far away. Yes, it is. Um, it's going to have a four-year gap from its original film, which is not usual in the MCU. The, the longest gap between any sequential arc meaning like the avengers films are like three years what do you think so this will be, be ha- like can you even guess what you think is going to happen like what's that story set up i right? have no idea it the, the, he the black panther movie got the avengers slot as we know it like the may slot is typically reserved for their big movies so i'm thinking it could be a big either midpoint or endpoint for one of the phases i don't know um it's going to have a subtitle or a caption we, we're not sure what it is yet um but as far as all, all we know is that Ryan Krugler is set to return to direct. And that's all that matters at this point. Um, I have yeah. a theory. I have a theory of what I think the plot's going to be. Okay. So real estate is through the reef in Rakonda. No one can afford to live there anymore. It's become so shishi and popular that people are <laughs> having to move out to like regular Africa. And there's a whole real estate war. So then you got Black Panther having to fight off like a bunch of realtors from regular Africa who are trying to come in and like flip houses. 
No. I think you should. I think you should email Kevin Feige about that. I think. <laughs> <laughs> Just no pitch it to him. No one can live in Wakanda unless they have three jobs. Yeah. <laughs> he like. Well, he probably on the be on the side. Like there, he would be fighting the realtors and trying to keep Wakanda like affordable housing. There must be rent oh, yeah. control in Wakanda. <laughs> oh yeah. Wakanda definitely has like public health care. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they've, they've got all the good stuff, so it would be a very short movie. So, just, uh, yeah. Let's see what else. Uh, the Black Widow trailer premiered uh, yes. for the uh, D23 audience. We should see that trailer uh, around November or December, I'm going to guess. Um, normally, when trailers like for these big MCU films are shown at these conventions, it'll at this one specifically, uh, based on the time span of when it takes place, we should be getting it November, December. I love so it. So keep an eye out for that. Um, and last bit of Marvel news is that a Ms. Marvel slash Kamala Khan series is in the works for both TV and film debuts. Um, and Kamala Khan will officially be Marvel's first Muslim superhero. Oh my gosh. I love it. And we have Bisha Ali. Uh, we know her as the comedian and writer behind Hulu's remake of, uh, Four Weddings and a Funeral. Yes. Uh, she will act as the showrunner and head writer for... The program Herkley, very Herkley, exciting Herkley, Herkley. I love very it. exciting okay so i'm not quite sure the details because you're my you're our marvel guy you're dr marvel so what's going on with the spider-man thing like i don't really fully understand what's happening with spider-man I'm, i just know that it's a clusterfuck so it is a clusterfuck i spent like two hours this morning reading articles and trying to make sense of it sure it's a big clusterfuck. So news broke on uh, a couple days ago that Spider-Man will no longer be in the MCU as per the deal between uh, Sony, who owns the character, and Disney slash Marvel. Um, basically, the deal they had in place, I'm going to try to like put it in layman's terms because it can be very confusing. Basically, Sony would allow Marvel, Kevin Feige, all the producers, they would give Marvel creative control to integrate Spider-Man into the MCU and they would put up 100% of the production costs. So that's literally like paying for the movie to be made. That falls under them. In exchange, Disney would receive 5% of the first day box office. And Sony would keep the rest. Okay? That was the deal they had in place. When uh, the deal expired a couple days ago, so they re-entered negotiations for the deal. Disney basically came in and said, All right, cool. So we made... Five movies with Spider-Man. Our last standalone film with him made a billion dollars. We want 50-50. And Sonny was like, um, no. (laughs) Basically is what happened. They gave him the David Rose no. Um, yeah, it's... Everyone's saying that this is Sony's fault. And it's very easy to say that when you don't know the facts. Because, like, in... It's hard to deny that Disney slash Marvel was kind of the saving grace of this character after a couple of movies that didn't really launch the character in the way that Sony wanted. When they finally got into the MCU, it became something that everyone enjoyed. Um, But now Disney is asking for a 45% increase in their shares. And it's it's crazy. It's insane to ask that because Spider-Man is also Sony's most lucrative uh, property that they have right and they can't just like sort of split it between them so even though disney said we'll we'll go half and half on the production cost too it's not it's not worth it for them it doesn't make much business sense why are they being um, greedy i feel like there's something else at the at the heart of this right Do you guys feel like uh, capitalism <laughs> i mean yeah i guess but like what <laughs> mega corporations monopolies because it makes everybody's like there's shade about like Tom Holland's not following Sony anymore, but I just feel like this is the big rats issue. This feels like a rat thing. I think Disney was, was playing some pretty low cards. I think they weren't expecting for Sony to say no because of how integrated Spider-Man is not only in his films, but with the other films of the MCU. Yeah. And that's my biggest concern moving forward. How do we, take extrapolate that character from one universe and put him into the other when his whole arc has been about the death of Tony Stark, at least for this last film. Exactly. He was essentially, he was brought into the MCU by Tony. So it's, you, I don't know how they would feasibly go about doing that. Just like ignoring everything 
that essentially made the character. It's really, really messy. Yeah. Sony said that the original ports on the deal that you would see were really mischaracterized. And they were they were, they claimed that they were concerned that Kevin Feige wouldn't have the time or energy to focus towards Spider-Man because he's launching this new chapter in the MCU. Uh, I don't believe that for a second. Not at all. Um, Not at all. I don't. I don't I don't think I first of all I think Kevin Feige can totally handle it and also I don't think this was the reason that Sony said no. Um and they also said they have learned a lot from Feige and are confident to move on without him. That I can kind of agree because they did put out Spider-Verse and that was a major success for that studio. So I think they're learning from their mistakes for sure, but losing Feige as head of the creative team for this character is seriously worrying for what follows. As someone who's I not, I've, I'm not a Disney fan person. I'm just not a fan of Disney. Uh, I'm not excited about them creating this huge monolithic uh, gobbling uh, monster that it's becoming. I'm not comfortable with it at all. I, I think yeah. people should be more terrified of what Disney's doing than they actually are. Uh so I, I don't know. I, I don't feel really good about them. I think they're they're the arrogant rat that thinks it can come in and do everything well. And it does what it does, what it's done historically fairly well. But it's also shot the bed in a lot of cases that people seem to always forget. So yeah. I think this is this could be the beginning of the end in a lot of ways. I don't want to be the cynic here about it, but I don't trust them. I don't trust that company at all. Yeah, Feige also came out in an interview for Entertainment Weekly, and his this this was uh, his words. He said in relation to the deal they had, it was never meant to last forever. We knew there was a finite amount of time that we'd be able to do this, and we told the story we wanted to tell. And I'll always be thankful for that. And this is another statement that I just don't believe. No. I don't see Kevin Feige making this deal without knowing that they can sustain it for more than five films. Do you know, it doesn't... Right. The, the the person that Kevin Feige is, the one who has been planning all this since the beginning, I don't see him making this deal without knowing that he's going to have it for longer than literally like three or four years. I think this is, this is Disney telling him to be like, you need to say this. We can't be seen as being contentious towards Sony. We can't be seen as fault at being at fault. I'm just kind of like, like tell us, like them. tell us how you feel, Kevin. Like, I'm sure he's as irritated and disappointed as, as much as we are. Um, but I mean, going forward, uh, Tom Holland will continue to play Spider-Man in the Sony universe. He has two more films lined up with him. It's very, very, very possible there will be some sort of Tom Hardy Venom crossover. Um, in fact, it's it's pretty likely they had they producers from Sony have said they wanted to do something like that. So either this next film or the film after will include some sort of Venom tie-in. Um, we'll but yeah, see. it's it's kind of disappointing. Yeah, I just I, I'm reading this completely in a way that Disney's just going to come in and just kill all the magic. I just have a feeling that that's what they're going to do. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I could be horribly wrong, but yeah. It doesn't sit well, does it? It doesn't sit well. Just this whole thing has never, this whole big chomping up merger thing just doesn't sit well with me. I don't trust those people. Yeah, and I'm I'm all now that this has happened, I'm concerned of how that affects or how that might possibly affect the deal Marvel has with Fox and using the X-Men characters and all of that stuff. Is Fox going to see that as a possible out after they've done a couple of MCU films and they've risen the character to a good level where they're like, "Okay, we can take him back and we can make movies on our own." Like, what kind of precedent does that set for future companies to do this with Disney? Well, I don't know if uh, Disney's going to be the one to save X-Men. X-Men needs saving. <laughs> oh, I think I think if if anything if anyone can do the X Men right, it's going to be Kevin Feige. Of course, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, of course, in his hand, yeah. sure. But if you pissing him off, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Beat the golden goose upside the head. So we're trying something new. Can we switch into the thing that we're doing new now? Yeah, of course. Yeah. So Ian, uh, Ian, Andre had a great suggestion. Ian and I are on board. 
he, you had this idea to do something. And let's talk about what you wanted to do and what we're doing now with this new thing. What is it? So we were, yeah, we've been brainstorming on how to increase interaction with our listeners because we want to hear from you guys. We want to open up conversations. That's what this podcast has always been about, just having a good conversation. We just want to bring people uh, to the table more. Um, so we had this idea of setting up a official Ashland podcast hotline. So this is a number that you, the listener, I feel like I'm doing like an infomercial. <laughs> uh, this is a number that you guys can either uh, text or call and leave a voicemail with any thoughts you have on our show. Uh, recent episodes or not so recent episodes. Just let us know which one you're talking about. Um, just any thoughts, comments, suggestions, grievances, rants, anything you want to leave. As long as it's polite. If it's not polite, we're probably not going to read it. Um, oh, we'll read it. D- we'll just judge you amongst ourselves. We'll, we'll out you, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, we won't. Uh, but we'll just be going, oh, this motherfucker, and then move on. That's probably what will happen. So, Yeah, probably. Um, but if you do want to take advantage of this, uh, our number is embedded pretty much everywhere on social media. If you go to our bios or, you know, it'll be there. Um, but our official number is 424-291-2439. Again, that's 424-291-2439. Call, leave a voicemail, or leave a text. As long as you leave your name and your thoughts, we can read it on the air and then open up a conversation with you it guys. It doesn't even be so. a handle. It doesn't even have to be your name. I mean, you know, you don't have to identify yourself. But it would be nice to know what you guys are thinking. Is there a show that you're watching or a take that we have that, you know, you want to run with? Is there a show that you think, oh, you guys really should, uh, this would be up your alley. Probably not going to watch a network show, yeah. so probably don't recommend those. Um <laughs> Somebody else in the group might want to watch a, a network show. I'm just not a big network person. But, yeah, I mean, I'd just like to know what you guys think about some of our takes on things as well. Connect with you guys. Some of you already yeah. do that, so you're kind of already doing it through DMs in various ways, so that's awesome. Now you got a hotline number to do it. And, and also, if it's incredibly cool and fun or something that we want to share, uh, we'll put it on the, on the air on one of the episodes. So I'm excited yep. about that. Are you guys excited about that? About I'm very excited. What the public has to say. Mm-hmm. And if you have any more long form messages or thoughts, uh, our email is always open. Um, and we are also now on SoundCloud. Almost, almost on forgot SoundCloud. to mention that we are on SoundCloud now. Yeah. We just launched on SoundCloud. We played with the idea of hosting the podcast on SoundCloud, but after three days of inputting stuff and seeing how it's awesome, I love SoundCloud. Love being there. A lot of you guys are listening to the uh, podcast for the first time. That's super cool. But we're finding that we're going to stay with Libsyn as our host. There's so many other reasons why. But yeah. love having SoundCloud, but not going to use it as a podcast host. I don't think it's for us. Maybe it's mm-hmm. that I just don't know how to maximize it. And if you have thoughts on that, let us know, too. What's the number again? It's 424-291-2439. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. we'll uh, we'll be back in another week with something uh, new and interesting that we're talking about and and watching. And again, if you have suggestions, let us know. And you can also just not not just the hotline number. You can reach out to us on Facebook, Ashland Podcast, Twitter, Ashland Podcast, Instagram, Ashland Podcast, any of those places. You can let us know what's up. So yep. And those of you who listen to us regularly uh, all the time, just know that we appreciate you and we love you. Yep. All right. Bye, guys. Bye.